Galatians 6, verses 1 to 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for Galatians. We thank you for this letter from Paul the Apostle to his friends in the churches of Galatia, and we ask you that as we continue to study it, that you would make yourself known to us in new ways. God, we ask you that you would open our eyes, that we might behold your glory, that you would open our ears, that we might hear your truth, and that you would open our hearts, that we might believe it, receive it, and live out of it. And it's in Christ's name that we pray this. Amen. Amen. Well, we're coming off of Easter weekend last Sunday. Coming off of Easter weekend, uh, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, baptisms at the beach. And Easter Sunday, uh, a wonderful reminder that we are people who have been deeply impacted by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Easter Sunday is that annual kind of high, holy day where we come together and we celebrate that. But I don't know if if you've picked this up along the way, if you've been part of Christ City for a while. We sort of celebrate that every Sunday. Every Sunday is kind of Easter Sunday for those who were followers of Jesus. The, the very first Easter Sunday, if we could call it that, was when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to the tomb early in the morning and the stone had been rolled away and Jesus wasn't in there. And the angel of the Lord said, he's not here, he is risen. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary kind of went okay. And then they made their way back and they were going back to go tell the other disciples. And Jesus, like we looked at last week in the text, appears to them and says, greetings, as Jake highlighted last Sunday for us probably unnerved them a little bit. Oh, hi, Jesus. Cool. Interesting. This is different. Greetings. They go and they proclaim the resurrection of Jesus to the rest of the disciples. Jesus appears to them as well. And all of that happens on Sunday. And ever since then, for almost 2000 years, Christians have gathered on Sunday to celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Last week, Jake shared this quote from Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, and I thought I would highlight it again. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. You could, if you've been following Christ for a while, or you've been reading the Bible for a while, you could go, no duh. That's a no duh kind of quote. It doesn't matter if you don't like it, if you do like it. What matters is, did he rise from the dead? And we don't serve a good teacher who said some really good things and then died, and we can go to his tombstone. And we don't take seriously the teaching of Jesus because what he said was really good. It was really good. We take it seriously because he rose from the dead. We serve the Lord of Lords who creates all things and in whom all things hold together. So if Jesus rose from the dead, then you've got to accept everything that he said. He's the one who taught with real authority, the authority of the author, the one who is the originator of the whole deal. And this study that we've been in since September, this is week 25 in Galatians. If you're moving along through your booklet, you know that we're in week 25. 
Two more Sundays to follow this. We'll conclude our study of Paul's little letter to the churches of Galatia. But this is basically what Paul has been talking about all the way along. We need to take Jesus seriously. We need to take the teaching of Jesus seriously. So we ask ourselves this morning, what did Jesus have to say about the way we live as a community? Let me point out something that I'll double back on later on. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is Jesus speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we're supposed to love one another in a way that would point out the truth of who the risen Christ really is. They will know who I am by the way you love one another. That's what Jesus said. And this is what Paul's been expounding on all the way through this section in his letter to the Galatians. And this is what we need to consider today in Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5 that you just heard read. Here's what the passage tells us. Here's what we'll look at as we go through it. I want us to see what this passage says to you as an individual. I want us to note what this passage says to us as a community. And then I want us to see what this passage says about Jesus, who's the Lord of his church. So what does it say about you? As an individual, what does it say about us as a collective community? And what does it say about Jesus, who is Lord of his church? Okay, if you've got your Bibles open, um, or the text will come up on the screen behind me, I want to just jump back into the end of chapter 5 and draw that thought into the rest of chapter 6. And so let's look at Galatians 5, verse 25 and 26 together. It's what it has to do with you as an individual. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, the phrase keeping in step. We talked about this a number of weeks ago. Keeping in step, same word as, uh, same phrase as would be used for soldiers who were marching in unison. So walking with God is like that. He calls out the steps and we follow after him. So if we're obediently walking in step with God, the Holy Spirit, we are keeping in step with the Spirit. So the question is, are you keeping in step with the Spirit or are you breaking rank, breaking file and going off on your own? what he's talking about walking in step with the spirit means he leads and we walk so god the holy spirit leads us step by step as we follow him verse 26 let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another you're like well i learned that in kindergarten i didn't need the bible to teach me that and we go okay well that's good maybe you had a really wonderful kindergarten teacher who loved jesus maybe that's how it was Or maybe you just learned that because that's being nice. Okay, that's great. We should all be nice. That's really wonderful. I learned things like that. I learned the golden rule from my parents. I didn't find it was in the Bible until about 20 years later, but I still learned it from them. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay? What's Paul getting at? Is this just basic be nice to each other stuff? Well, it's going to get bigger. Paul tells the people in the churches of Galatia, he tells them, don't Make this about you. You're not the center of this whole story. As you relate to one another, don't get too lofty of an opinion of yourself. Don't irritate each other. Don't get jealous of the life that somebody else is living. That's what he's saying. Don't do that. 
Don't think too highly of yourself. And don't make it about comparing yourself to others. He says, don't do that. Do this. Verse 1, Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay, he's saying, brothers and sisters, in the new family of God, who has God as the Father, Some of you are going to stumble and you are going to fall in this journey. And you who are spiritual, you who are keeping in step with the Spirit, are to come along and restore them. Help them back up. And we'll come back to that when we talk about the community side of things. But it also says keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Get tempted to what? Well... Likely, I think he's saying we need to watch our lives that we don't stumble and fall into the kind of mess that comes when we think too highly of ourselves and get conceited or self-important or proud. This text is dealing with pride on some level. It says in verse 526 that we just looked at a moment ago. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So don't become conceited. Don't fall into that temptation of having too lofty an opinion of yourself. Now, this text has a lot to say to us as individuals about the way that we should conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus. And Paul continues on, verses 3 through 5. For if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So again, don't think too highly of yourself. doesn't mean grovel, crawl on the ground like you're just some sort of scum. Although there is a verse in the Bible that talks about the scum of the earth, but that's okay. That's who we are, but that's, that's another sermon. He's not saying just beat yourself down, but he's saying don't have too lofty an opinion of yourself. Don't make it about comparing yourself to others. You know, oh, it's quiet in here. This is challenging in 2019. It's challenging because nearly every message that gets pumped into our headphones or shows up on our screens is saying that the most important person in the world is you. There's a kind of thinking that's actually rewarded in 2019 that was not rewarded in 1919 and was not rewarded in 1819 and was not actually rewarded in any century of history thus far. Uh, It's a sort of assumed truth today that actually in a way gets rewarded. We get rewarded for thinking like this in our culture it's the message that you're great and that the world would be a better place if everyone was as great as you. Now, I think you're great. I think you're really great. I think all of you are really great. Each one of you, special. Okay? God knows the number of hairs on your head. Right? Some of you have aged enough to know that he doesn't have to count as high as he used to. But you're great. There's a columnist for the New York Times. Um, His name's David Brooks. David Brooks must have had a bad day uh, sometime in December of 2018 or maybe in January when he published this. Uh, January 3rd of this year, he published an article called The Morality of Selfism, The Gospel of Saint You. 
Okay, the whole thing's sarcastic, so naturally I loved it. Uh, here's how he introduces the article. You probably want to be a good person, but you may also be completely self-absorbed. So you may be thinking, there is no way I can be good if I'm also a narcissist. Isn't being good all about caring for other people? Oh, but how wrong you are. We live in a culture of selfism, a culture that puts tremendous emphasis on self, on self-care, and self-display. And one of the things we discovered is that you can be a very good person while thinking only about yourself. And it gets worse from there. I'm not going to read any more of it. He follows that up with some pretty cutting, sarcastic uh, four-point plan kind of thing where you can make sure that your life continues to be about you and that you are the center of your existence. Uh, He published it January 3rd, for those of you who are trying to Google it right now on your phone. 2019. Uh, It's not the most nuanced or nicest thing you're going to read on the topic. It's not the most polished thing you're going to read on the topic, but I think he taps into something that is happening in the cultural moment that we live in right now. I think there's a reason that you would either chuckle a little bit when you read it or that you would read it and it would make you angry because he sort of reads your mail. Hits a little too close to home. I was split about 50-50 down the middle on, ah, this is kind of funny, ow, insightful and we need good insightful reminders like this from columnists like david brooks what he's getting at i think is what we could call the age of personal autonomy the age of personal autonomy where the individual is the highest form of authority and where words like lordship submission and obedience get blacklisted those are Necessary Christian words that we can't do away with just because we live in the culture of autonomy or the age of autonomy. The individual being the highest form of authority challenges everything that we have seen thus far in history in terms of how Christians are to live this out. How now do we live in this age by doing things like deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me? if I'm supposed to be the most important person in the room all the time? It's a difficult question we need to wrestle with. I think there's answers, but it's a difficult question to wrestle with. Um, Autonomy, the word itself, if you break it down, it means self-law. Autosnomos. Self-law. Autonomy. Autonomous. It means that you are the one who rules over your life. Okay, now hang on to that. And go back to Galatians with me for a second. This is what Paul's getting at, I think, as it relates to some of the backbiting and infighting that was happening in the churches of Galatia. Look at this, verse 3. For if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Okay? So don't think too highly of ourselves. Okay? But he says also, don't make it about comparing yourself to another. Look at it, 3 through 5. If anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. He says, test your own work. So ask yourself the question, am I walking in step with the Spirit? We looked at Galatians 5. We had the works of the flesh. I called signs of the ongoing battle. And we had the fruit of the Spirit. Which ones are showing up in your life? Am I walking in step with the Spirit, or am I walking to the beat of my own self-driven, self-law kind of drum? 
He says, test your work, but don't test it against the person sitting next to you. Okay, don't live by comparative faithfulness with one another, and don't live by comparative faithfulness with the spirit of the age. Don't think about just doing a little bit better than the next person. He says you need to evaluate your life, what we would call, we've talked about this here before, quorum Deo, before the face of God. That's where you evaluate your life. You don't sit across the table from somebody who you feel a little bit superior to and go, I'm doing well. That's easy in, in some senses. Or, or sit across the table from somebody who's just doing really well and you sit there and go, I am terrible. I am an utter failure. I don't even know if God loves me. Those are both tendencies that we have if we compare ourselves. He doesn't say that. He says, test your own work. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So Paul says, don't get boasty. Don't have an overinflated view of your own greatness. Because in your estimation, you happen to be more moral, more righteous, more loving, more giving, more helpful, more woke and generally more awesome than the person sitting next to you. He says, don't build on that foundation. That's not the foundation to build your life on. Now, there's nothing wrong with being moral, righteous, loving, giving, helpful, woke, awesome. Okay, the problem is the more than component of it, where you compare yourself. That's where the problem lies. Those are all good things you should aspire to. The problem is with comparison. C.S. Lewis said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Verse 5 says, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, the obvious question here that we would want to ask ourselves as people who've heard verses 1 through 5 already read is this not the text where Paul is talking about the community of God's people bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ? Is that not what this text is actually about, Brett? Yes, it is, and we'll get there. Come back to that, but the point I'm trying to make is that he's talking about what this text means for you as an individual as well. Because one day you will stand before God, and if you're in Christ, he will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can be assured of that truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is not in question. If he is your Lord, he is your Savior, you will spend a glorious eternity with him. We spent weeks talking about this in the first half of Galatians. We spent weeks talking about the truth that we are justified by faith alone, that Christ's work on our behalf is sufficient for our salvation, that it's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. That's not what this is getting at in verse 5. So hear me, please. Yes, we are justified by faith alone, but we are not justified by faith that remains alone. There are works added to our faith that prove the genuineness of what it is we believe. That's when you get into little words like submission, lordship, and obedience. Very unpopular 2019 words. When you stand before God for judgment on what you've done with what he gave you, you won't be judged by the person you're sitting next to who you felt like you were more than. 
We're not talking salvific judgment here. We're talking about judgment unto reward. And that is based on what you did with what he gave you. Okay, now here's what Paul is saying about the individual that is different than what David Brooks in the New York Times is saying about the individual because they're talking about different things. They're getting at the same heart, I think, talking about different things. David Brooks is talking about personal autonomy. And that's not what this text is talking about in terms of the individual. It's talking about personal responsibility. Personal autonomy, no. Personal responsibility, yes. See, the truth of God as revealed in Scripture talks to us about personal responsibility, but nowhere in the Bible is there anything about personal autonomy because we all serve one Lord. So personal autonomy, self-law, no. Personal responsibility, yes. But not isolated from the rest of the world. Not an isolated view of the self where you're personally responsible for you and only you, but personal responsibility in view of serving God and his people, the church. So it's a personal responsibility that extends beyond yourself. I said I wanted you to see what this passage had to say about you as an individual, but also about us as a community. Christ City, am I my brother's keeper? That's an old question. That's an old question from Genesis. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. I just want to stop. Just stop there for a second. If you're looking at the verse on the screen behind me, don't. Brothers and sisters in the family of God who have God as a father. If anyone, now, is that qualifying? Anyone but? Nope. Anyone in the family, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, does it qualify the transgression? Any transgression except this. It doesn't. If Anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are walking in step with the Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh huh. <laughs> just to make it clear. Yes. You are. He says, some of you are going to stumble and fall along the way on this journey. And you who are spiritual, you who are keeping in step with the Spirit, need to restore that person and help them back up. So don't think too highly of yourself, more highly than you ought. But also don't make it about comparing yourself to others. Because you are needed to help one another along the way. It's not just about you. There's a New Testament scholar named Scott McKnight who wrote a great commentary on Galatians. He said, to be human is to relate to God and to others. Our personal responsibility before God does not relieve us from accountability to others, nor does it put us on a deserted island to live a solitary life. These are Western problems that need to be faced. And the message of Paul, here's what he's saying the message of Paul is. 
a mutual accountability that does not deny personal responsibility, and a personal responsibility that includes a mutual accountability. He's saying the message of Paul stares our world in the face. So are we more formed by the teaching of Scripture, or are we more formed by the culture we are immersed in? I said a few weeks ago, I think that the letter to the Galatians, I think the center of the letter to the Galatians is when, when Paul talks about faith working through love. It's faith working through love. It's what we believe, how we follow Jesus, working itself out in our lives through the way we love one another. It's about the transformative love of God and how he has knit us together as a community. Eugene Peterson said one of the immediate changes that the gospel makes is grammatical. We instead of I, our instead of my, us instead of me. Something communal about this. He goes on and says, A believing community is the context for the life of faith. Love cannot exist in isolation. Away from others, it bloats into pride. Grace cannot be received privately. Cut off from others, it is perverted into greed. Hope cannot develop in solitude. Separated from the community, it goes to seed in the form of fantasies. No gift, no virtue can develop and remain healthy apart from the community of faith. Is the church perfect? Your head should just flip back and forth so fast when I say that. Is the church of Jesus perfect? No, not yet. Eternally we will be. Not yet. We're a mess. That's why Paul's writing a letter to a group of people who can't get along. I don't know, it's week 25 of Galatians. If you missed the first 24, that's the occasion for the letter. They're arguing about what it means to be saved. No, we're not perfect. But is it the place that you learn and develop your faith and virtue? Yes. And one of the ways that you develop that is by being knocked down on the ground, having fallen into some kind of transgression and having somebody who cares enough to love you and go pick you back up. And then, and then part of how you develop your life of faith is when somebody else falls down and you go, hey, one time somebody picked me up too. Let me, let me come alongside you and restore you. Lift you back up. None of the communal elements of the Christian faith do away with personal responsibility. You'll stand before God. And you don't get to stand there with the all-star beside you right now. I don't get to like have my wife with me and go, Jesus, she's great, hey? And just kind of use her as a shield. Yeah. Wasn't she awesome? I encouraged her. <laughs> no, that's not what it looks like. It's not, that's not, it's not the whole picture. It doesn't look like that. Nothing about the communal element of our faith does away with personal responsibility. It does kill personal autonomy, though. It does put personal autonomy to death. First uh, Corinthians six nineteen and 20, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Not the most popular verse in a world that does elevate the independence of the individual over all else. 
So personal autonomy needs to die. Personal responsibility doesn't. It just starts to look different. Your personal responsibility gets extended into the community as you seek to uh, to, to, to serve and love one another. And so the case study Paul gives us, verse 1, says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's the case study. He goes, here's what it looks like. Here's a practical implication of what it means to take seriously the teaching of Jesus to love one another. He says, if somebody stumbles and falls, you who are spiritual come along and restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Restore, a fantastic word. It's a word that was used in... It's a, the New Testament was written in Greek originally. It's a, a word that was used in, in Greek medical terms of like setting a bone that was broken. So you break your arm. If you've ever broken a bone, you know that that's a painful experience. And if you've ever broken a bone and it got disjointed in that sense where it had to be set back into place, you know that's painful. But you know that the physician who does that does it to heal. They want to restore that. used in mark chapter 1 verse 19 when the first disciples that jesus called were sitting there after their day of work they were finishing up they were mending their nets they were fishermen their nets would get damaged and so one of the things that a good fisherman did at the end of every day was take care of the nets mend them fold them store them because in the morning they were going to go out there and toss them back into the sea and hope to get the catch of the day mending restoring healing. It's an active thing. I dislocated, I don't know which finger it was. I also had amputated that one, so that's another story, but they didn't really heal that one. They just cut it off. Sorry to alert you to that right now. Just stand like this. So I dislocated one playing football one time and my gym teacher popped it back into place. Probably not something that you should do if you're a gym teacher in 2019 people be sensitive but he's like can i fix that yeah exactly yeah thank you he did that because he loved me and cared for me and said that's going to hurt until you fix it and if you haven't realized you live in a little village in the middle of central alberta and we'll have to get someone to drive you to a doctor's office or a hospital to get that fixed so why don't i just fix that for you crack and i went oh it immediately felt better Okay, so that's restore. (laughs) Do you actually see how positive that is, though? Like, that's a positive thing. Um, uh, The imagination runs wild at times, and anxieties can just get a little bit heightened when we think about, quote-unquote, confronting someone in their sin. But but what if we reimagined that just for a moment, And instead of thinking about confronting a brother or sister in the faith, in their sin, instead of confronting them, we think about it as restoring them. That they've stumbled, fallen down, and broken something, but but we who are spiritual, if you're spiritual, if you're keeping in step with the Spirit, you can come along and restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. It's not a confrontation where you sit down and go, you suck. It's an arm around the shoulder that says, I know you're hurting. Can I come alongside you? See, we need to get that image in our mind of this sort of big confrontational reality of challenging someone in their faith. Eh, No, no, no. Gentle. Spirit of gentleness. 
coming alongside for the purpose of restoration. And how do you help someone? Well, I've already alluded to it in a spirit of gentleness. Um, Don't forget that gentleness was one of the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus, that gentleness will grow in that way. It has a lot to do with humility. Gentleness and humility have a lot to do with one another. Uh, It's a practical application of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the church. And so when I say in the beginning, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, it gets to your humility and your gentleness. Don't think so highly of yourself that you wouldn't stoop to help someone who's fallen into a pit of despair and sin. But also don't use that occasion when you see someone who has to think more highly of yourself than you ought by comparing yourself to them and going like, huh, I thank God I'm not like that person. You sound like some people that Jesus confronted pretty loudly in the Gospels. Because in gentleness and humility, I think we are the first ones who need to look on others who are stumbled and fallen in our lives and, and look at them and, and just have this idea and this reminder and say, but for the grace of God, go I. I've been guilty of this in the past. When, when pastors blow it, like when you hear of another story of another pastor who had an affair, another pastor who got a DUI, another pastor who was pilfering money, another pastor who, and you fill in the blanks. I get so frustrated by that. But I better not think more highly of myself than I ought because but for the grace of God go I. And I'm sure you wouldn't have any relation to that at all. Like we're one bad decision away from being the ones needing to be restored. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, This is how we obey Jesus' command to love one another. This is how we fulfill what I already read out of John 13, the law of Christ. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is the law of Christ. And you bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And I I guess I would just say, who among us has not needed the help of Jesus and the help of others to pull us out of our sin? We, We all come to this place in our life by grace. Now there's, I would say, two parts to this, and we need to pay attention to both. Two parts to the work of burden bearing. One is being the kind of person who will see the burdens of another and come alongside them and see them restored and made whole. That's, that's one. And I think most of us are pretty actively open to that idea. We think, yeah, I don't have everything in my life together, but I'm going to come along somebody who's not doing that well and come alongside them and lift them up and see them restored in that way. Spirit of gentleness. And we all go, yes, we could do that. Here's the second part to bearing burden work that I think we're a little bit more averse to. The other aspect of it here is being the kind of person who does not put up a facade or a veneer of being okay when in fact you aren't. Like we love to hide our shame. And you say, why has no one come along and tried to restore me? Because you're hiding it. And no one knows that you need to be restored. No one knows that you need to be encouraged and cared for and dealt with in a spirit of gentleness. And so what does that look like? 
It means dropping the facade. It means get rid of the veneer that looks so nice. When I use the word veneer, I always think of teeth. It's the only word that I think I would ever use that with. And like a veneer, perfect, right? Hollywood veneer business booming. What's underneath those veneers? Have you ever seen somebody's veneers falling out? It's hilarious. Maybe some of you have had that, and you're like, it's not funny. Yeah, it is funny. It's like a tiny little spike of the original tooth that goes into there. Like, it's hilarious. It's, It's not, it doesn't look great. The veneer is perfect. It's just not the real thing. Oh, don't walk in here on a Sunday morning or into your community group or, and just be all, look at my veneer. Our social media, for those of you who use social media, probably a lot of veneer going on there. Not a lot of like, hey, just yelled at my kids and feel like uh, an idiot. Had to go repent to my child. Didn't, that didn't feel good. All right, have a great day. Like you don't share that on Instagram. Okay, you don't. Occasionally, you might let people into that a little bit. Just to, here's, a, here's what my life normally looks like. I posted a picture of my desk yesterday, and somebody said, your desk is messy. And I was like, you should see my mind. <laughs> it's okay not to be okay. But it's the job of the one and others within the body of Christ to see that and act in restoring love. But you've got to have the humility to let them in. We all have to. This is a, a countercultural act of love in community. Like if you blow it relationally within your family, if you absolutely ruin it with your family, apart from Christ, is there any way to be restored? If you, in your workplace, just wreck something, make up a, a colossal mistake, Is there a way for you in that setting to be restored? Maybe. But the community of Jesus followers lives with a different kind of ethic. A radical countercultural love that does not discard or suppress the person. That does not keep them down when they've fallen. That lifts them up when they've fallen. It does not discard and throw away as though worthless, but says you are valued and broken, but Christ died for you. We keep in the midst of brokenness. We strengthen in the midst of brokenness. And that is a radical thing in our world. So I said, this passage is about you as an individual and your personal responsibility. I said, this passage is about us as a community and our mutual accountability. But this passage is ultimately about Jesus as the Lord of the church. Because apart from him, there's no way you can do any of this. Here's how we can actually live this out. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. But then look at this, what follows. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, the only way that we can understand uh, our personal responsibility and our communal accountability is by having a big view of God, his love toward us in Christ, uh, by understanding that you are a sinner who has been restored to relationship with your creator and are now called a saint. 
that's where it begins. Your personal responsibility and your communal accountability are like two guardrails on the highway of life. Uh, They're both necessary, and and if we allow them to both be in place, personal responsibility and communal or community accountability, both of them will guide us toward God. They'll guide us and protect us, actually, as we try to walk toward him. Because this text is about God. The holy, loving creator of the world, who in a spirit of gentleness restores us to right relationship with him. If we develop a rich understanding of who he is and, a, and live faithfully in relation to him, then we will never take lightly this community that he's brought us into. Um, one of the things that I, I was not prepared for to go into pastoral ministry was the relational pain that would happen among people who love Jesus. I just wasn't prepared for that. And I sort of spent my entire time from becoming a Christian at 19 till now... <laughs> Realizing that I'm part of the problem, but also just being frustrated by the fact that we can't get this right. And I know we can't. But when I see fragmentation in the body and people who are angry with this person and people who won't talk to this person and people who won't come to this gathering because that's the gathering that so-and-so goes to, but I still want to be part of this church. I just don't want to actually be part of this church. I just want to come when it's convenient for me. And I don't have to see anybody who I'm at odds with and I don't have to reconcile those differences. It's painful. And I know we all hate it. Oh, but in a spirit of gentleness. So yes, this text is about squabbles and infighting and pain and sin and being hurt and about how we're supposed to live in light of this redemptive love that we've been loved with and how we've been brought into this new family and how we are a family of fellow strugglers along the way. But it's actually only about all of those things after we see that it's about God and his glorious love breaking in through each small act of Christian love one for another. Okay, it's not about you and it's not about us. It's about God and all that he wants to do through us in this brief moment of history that we call our life. So with that said, would you stand with me today as we respond? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.